Welcome back to The Versatile Writer, providing support and encouragement for writers and creatives. We're now in season 10. Can you believe that? No, neither. And did you notice that new tagline as well? After 10 seasons, it made sense and it better fits the podcast's aims. I'm recording this next to a window, so you'll likely hear traffic and birds along with the content. This isn't just today either. This is through all of the seasons. I thought this season I'd create a slightly different format with the content. It's still a season of eight episodes and an eight weeks break, but instead of recording a specific subject in each one, I'm going to go through the alphabet and cover what writing related topic fits each letter. Now, it's not as easy as that. Originally, I believed this might result in a tiny bite sized episode or maybe about a minute each. But then I put the idea out to a few writer connections to see what this alphabet idea meant to them and to see if if they wanted to contribute. It turns out they did. So thanks goes to Zelma Klein from the Facebook group Arcane Quill and all who answered her post because they added a fair chunk to the list. The thing is, writing means different things to different writers and, let's face it, we all view it from different perspectives and take different things from it too. Thus, the list grew even bigger and I could instantly see that each episode would become a goodly size. What an excellent word goodly is. What I also didn't count on was how much is involved in writing and, consequently, how many extra topics would be in each letter. Originally, I believed it would cover, say, A to E in episode one, because it wouldn't take long to reel off one or two topics in A and B. But now I can see how much it really takes. So you might want to listen to these episodes with a pen and pad to hand, just to jot down notes, because episode one is only A and B. As such, you might imagine, far from being bite-sized, these episodes are now going to be way longer than usual. So, with this in mind, Through the creation of season 10, I quickly realised that continuing the format into season 11 would be beneficial. It means I won't have to bunch up a huge amount of content to fit an episode and you, the listener, will not be bombarded with information. I don't know about you, but if information is imparted in a measured yet fun way, you're more likely to absorb it. That's how my brain works anyway. It's worth noting that some of the topics will overlap and some will have different names but mean the same thing. So we may have a few that sound similar throughout the season. So before I get into it, please note you can subscribe to this podcast for free and have it arrive automatically when it's published. Please tell your friends and family you never know it might speak to them. You can also further the discussions of topics I raise here on the dedicated Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. Or you can type the Versatile Writer podcast group into Facebook's search bar. So here we go. Season 10, episode 1, A to B. In this episode, we've got alphabet, audience, adaptations, artwork, artificial intelligence, audiobooks and analysis. We'll cover B, surely. Number 1, A, alphabet. You might not think long about the alphabet each day, but as writers, these are simply our bread and butter. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's incredible to me that just 26 letters in different combinations have created great works of literature all across our planet. And those letters have educated us, entertained us, and informed us. 
Letters make words and words are amazing. So that's the alphabet. Right, on to the next one, audience. For both fiction and non-fiction, audience usually refers to the readers for whom you are writing. Audiences vary quite substantially depending on the genre, although let's not bunch everyone together. Some older people like reading young adult and younger people can handle fantasy and science fiction quite easily. Generally speaking though, if you're writing with the intention of submitting your manuscript to an agent or publisher, it is best to research them and their guidelines to ensure who they believe their audience is. And this will give your work the best chance of getting noticed for the right reasons. Audiences aren't only for whom we are writing. They also have a couple of roles to play in the creation of our stories. They can guide us away from places, for example, and this is a harsh reality, but if you write something in a book intended for a specific audience and a few unsavoury words creep in, or unexpected words, or maybe don't creep in but are absolutely intended to be there, our audience will show you their dissatisfaction in two ways. Reviews and not buying from us again. Although these are quite drastic responses, but this need not happen at all as authors before us have put in the hard work to discover which demographic will read our stories. And it gives us a little bit of a safer playing field. Another role they play is when they take their place at the table. Without an audience, who are we writing for? Who will read our work? Sure, you might say you only write for yourself, in which case you have become your own audience. Adaptations. Adaptations, in this case, refers to book to movie, book to TV show, book to graphic novel, book to screenplay, book to whatever. I've mentioned adaptations a few times on The Versatile Writer, and I realise I'm in a group of one when I confess I usually see the movie before I read the book. I know this might shock a lot of people. That seems to be the way it happens for me. It seems to be how I find things on my radar. I suspect this is because I've got a short attention span, so if the movie, with all of its colours, its visuals, its cast, grabs my attention with its story, I will quite possibly look out for the book and then discover the whole world has read the book already. I do realise most people are not like me, but if you are, why not connect? Adapting a book to a screenplay, for instance, can be an interesting task. I once wrote a young adult book and self-published it. This was back in around 2006. Later, when my daughter was at university, she used this book to write the screenplay adaptation of it for an assignment and her coursework. The differences and the overlaps were astounding. Also, when I was at university just a few years ago, I graduated in 2020, one of my modules was on screenplays. We learned a lot and I could see, again, the differences and the overlaps. Also, let's not forget, books and movies have different audiences, even though they overlap. And appreciating this difference can help in the overall construction. Think of books as an individual experience which unfolds in your imagination. But the visuals of a movie appeal to other parts of your brain. I understand what goes into them and it's not an easy thing to do. And that said, if one day any of my novels ever find their way to the big screen, oh my goodness is all I can say right now, just thinking about that. And future me, please fight to have your say in that casting call. You know who you want playing those parts. Another adaptation I want to cover 
is quite the reverse of the one I just mentioned. Some of you will know I am a die-hard Firefly fan. For those of you who don't know Firefly, it was a TV show written by Joss Whedon and aired by Fox in the early 2000s, but was cancelled after just one season. I won't go into the ridiculous reasons why it was cancelled here, but the show gained a massive cult following and went on to make a movie called Serenity. Most people would imagine that afterwards, nothing more was heard of or about the show or the characters. However, if you know where to look, there are novels, there are graphic novels, there are collector's items, there are action figures, there's clothing merch, there's fan fiction, you name it, it exists because people love this show. And what's not to love? Anyway, in amongst that list I just reeled off was graphic novels. Now, this show was considered, possibly uniquely, as somewhere between science fiction and western, and there were also strong steampunk aspects to it. Those three categories inspire brilliant imagery, so it makes perfect sense that graphic novels were a massive thing within the Firefly universe. I have several of those graphic novels, half a dozen of the actual novels too, published by Titan Books in hardback form and audio. So, from a TV show, the idea was adapted into a movie, then graphic novels and the novels and so on. Adaptations can be brilliant. Finding another audience and another way to show your story creates such a fantastic experience. It allows each audience to see the story in multiple ways. The sky is indeed the limit. Pun intended. Nice linking. Let's move on to artwork. Artwork, in this case, refers to book covers. Again, artwork appeals to a specific part of your brain, so choosing something that is sympathetic to the book's content is key, as well as grabbing the attention of a potential customer. Cover art is a tricky topic which can divide a room, especially when you consider what my next letter topic is about. Keep you guessing until then. Ideally speaking, the cover of a book ought to be in keeping with its genre, potentially eye-catching and professionally created. If those three aspects are adhered to, chances are your book will be noticed for all the right reasons. Believe me, I've made some errors in the past with book covers, but you do learn by your mistakes. Those early covers were great at the time, but one or two did not age well. Them's the breaks. Fortunately, over time, I've learned what works and what doesn't, and perhaps even more importantly, who to hire to create them, because I realise I'm not the person to create a cover. The next one, artificial intelligence. Oh my goodness, isn't this causing quite the uproar at the moment? There are so many pros and cons. Um, let's start with this. Remember I said cover artwork can divide a room? Well, there are two things that are currently ruffling people's feathers when it comes to book covers. Poorly made artwork and AI generated artwork. The poorly made stuff is tricky because art is subjective and so is taste. And you could argue what one person considers a horrid cover is actually really quite lovely. With regard to artificial intelligence creating your artwork, this is a completely different argument as far as I can see. Yes, of course there exists some wonderful, incredible, fantastic images out there that would be perfect for your cover, but the underlying argument usually falls at the tricky baseline of whether an artist or creator got paid for their work when an AI software program uses it or parts of it for developing new work. 
for what it's worth, if you have used AI to generate an image for your cover, I'd love to hear the backstory on how it was created and your reasons for choosing that method. Perhaps it fits perfectly with the genre or your story, or maybe it's because of the clean lines and the great colours. But then that's artwork. What about the actual content? Most of us have seen examples of AI-generated stories and the equivalent from a human author. Did you notice the differences? Many of us don't. Usually, however, the AI version is perfect. It has none, none of the clunkiness from human error. But, if I may, it also lacks soul and emotion. Perhaps AI considers those to be imperfect. If, like me, you're a Trekkie and love all things Star Trek, AI kind of reminds me of a Vulcan, suppressing emotion in favour of logic. That's all great and good and stuff, but sometimes you need that perfectly imperfect thing in your life. This is another topic to discuss. I suspect I'll touch on it, on it again this season. Gathering a balanced viewpoint on these things sets areas for a healthy and respectful debate. And in the spirit of being balanced though, AI has some very good points too. And it's because of AI that we're able to do so many things in today's world. And it is worth remembering that. The next one. While it's clear that the sales of audiobooks have vastly grown in the last few years, probably helped along by lockdown, it's nice to know that, similarly to adaptations of story, publishing your novel through audiobook methods means there's a good chance your name will reach yet another audience. Years and years ago, I self-published a book called Guardian Angel. It was around 2007 or thereabouts and was originally categorised as crime fiction. But I suspect nowadays it would probably be considered as romantic suspense. It was my third published book and was actually two stories in one book. I'd learned from my first two books that carrying a bunch of them around to different outlets to sell was, at times, a logistical nightmare. Thus, when it came to Guardian Angel Parts 1 and 2, I took the advice of a then friend to publish these two stories in one book. Years later, when lockdown happened, I decided to use the platform of this podcast to read a chapter per episode. There were 12 chapters of each story, so it took a while to record, edit and upload. But it was a good idea though and it helped me update aspects of the story for a modern audience. You can hear the book on the Versatile Writer for free, my contribution to the community during what was an incredibly stressful time. My only ap apology in it all was that the story is based in Boston, Massachusetts, and in no way did I read it with any accent other than my own English one. Had I known somebody with a Boston, Massachusetts accent, I probably would have asked them to do it for me. That aside, have you ever published your novel through more modern versions of an audiobook platform? If you did, how did it go? I've been tempted several times, but I truly get put off by so much tech to learn. Do get in touch and give me your thoughts on the, your audiobook journey. Maybe I'll incorporate it into a future podcast episode. Crediting you, of course. Our next A. Analysis. Also known as literary post-mortem. I've talked about the analysis I perform on my novels before on The Versatile Writer, many times in fact. And I've even had an entire episode, or 15 maybe, <laughs> on the analysis of different novels I've written. Not every writer performs an analysis though, or a literary post-mortem. 
but I have discovered over the years that it's very much part of my process. I will say now that while I call it a literary post-mortem, that is not to say that the book is dead. Before, during and after publishing, my books are very much alive, but because my brain tends to get away with me, after writing and before the editing process, after editing and before the beta readers see it, before the beta readers see it, but after, but before publishing, it really is the best choice to perform a post-mortem. This analysis will highlight if the story has taken a wrong turn and ensures all the characters achieved what they set out to do. It will also help me see if the plot did its intended job and everything you want from your story at the start of the writing process, right until somebody holds a copy in their hands, really needs to be looked at. And for me, the only way to do that is to perform a literary post-mortem or analysis. So that's the A's. We've had alphabet, audience, adaptations, artwork, artificial intelligence, audiobooks and analysis. I'm taking a quick break here to invite you to join my newsletter community. It's free to join and you'll get a monthly email that includes behind the scenes information, regular writing opportunities and exclusive offers. If this sounds like something you'd like to have, visit www.loveofbooks.co.uk and click on the free to you tab. At the bottom you'll see the subscription button. I hope to have you on board soon. Let's move on to the bees now and I hope you've been jotting down what you need to. In bees I'm covering or at least touching upon blogs, books, beta readers, burnout, building a story, building a character, and business. So let's continue with blogs. Blogs really took off in the early 2000s, but actually began in the late 1990s. It became popular as a way to regularly write about what you're doing in the hope of engagement and ultimately selling a product. Although in some cases it wasn't about selling, it was simply about engaging, and lots of diarists and journalists did exactly that. From my point of view, I began blogging and turned it into a service when I first started my business for the love of books back in 2011. I used blogging as a way to regularly tell those I connected with on social media and my website what was going on with the business, what I was about, what I was up to and how they could connect with me and the business. I didn't always keep it about the business either. I incorporated many of the community projects I was involved with too, which extended the reach and increased the audience. Essentially, with blogging, it's about writing a short but engaging post that connects in some way with your audience. You can write in different styles for whatever your purpose is and whoever your audience is. They are usually self-explanatory too. For instance, opinion blogs might be your way of letting off steam. Some write political opinion posts or movie or TV show reviews or just what's happening in your world. However, sometimes they do come across as a bit preachy. People become overly political, for instance. It just doesn't work for me and I move away. But opinion blogs can work in a really positive, proactive, caring for the whole world kind of way. And those are the ones that I would really recommend. Business blogs clearly have another agenda. They are deliberately written to engage with your audience to sell to them. There are, obviously, different levels of selling. And personally, I prefer a softer, less aggressive sell. 
one where the audience does not feel bullied into buying, but does so because they like the product. Don't forget, we sell products, but actually humans sell to humans. So if you like the human or you like what they do or their reputation, potentially you're more likely to buy their product. You can argue that my kind of selling is wrapped in please like me paper, and you'd probably be right. But I like to sell the way I like to buy, without pressure, and because I want the product. And I suppose if that's wrapped in please like me paper, nobody's hurt, are they? More aggressive selling requires a more aggressive writer, perhaps. But whatever style of blogging you do, I suggest doing it frequently. That is, choose a timely method that works for your schedule. The thing is with blog frequency, it's a very considered process. Daily can be too much for your audience, your product or your service, and monthly might mean your audience forgets about you. That said, some businesses do post several times a day, which I do think is too much, but it really depends on what they're talking about. They also have a dedicated member of staff to write these blogs. Small and micro businesses like mine are reliant upon one person to do everything. So it's best to choose a schedule frequency and stick with it. That way your audience knows when to expect the blog. I write a business blog on my website every month. I used to write a daily one, but that only highlighted that I had nothing new to report from the previous day. And that can easily take over from all the other things you have to do when running a business and writing books. Time is important and how you use that time is equally important. And don't forget your audience's time is also important. Afterwards, I wrote a fortnightly one that was two per month. But the timing got tricky when months consisted of five weeks. So I settled on a monthly blog because it fit nicely with the distribution of my monthly newsletter. More on newsletters when I cover ends. I also used to write weekly blogs, mostly for paying clients. They were actually quite fun because you learned about vastly different industries, anything from skips to car alarms, real estate to home security, tree cutting services to cake makers. Making those blogs work for the respective audience meant I had to combine several skills, writing, creative writing, copywriting, research, ghostwriting and selling. It had to be engaging because these were sales blogs. Some of the content was about the product or the service and others introduced the audience to the team or a specific employee. Blogs can be helpful, not just to the audience, but to the writer as well. They help you gather relevant information to share and enable you to focus on one thing. So that's my opinion blogs and business blogs. Let's touch on the next B, books. <laughs> wow, what to talk about. There's actually way too much to incorporate in this episode, but let's just agree that without books, us writers would be flummoxed and readers would have to spend their time doing something else. Books take us to other places with their own minds. They rely on imagination. They educate us. They entertain us and inform us. Whether you're enjoying a space romp or a graphic novel, a murder scene or a romantic getaway, a, a travel journal or a dictionary, books have the capacity to teach us more than we can absorb. B for beta reader. Interesting one, this one. Beta readers are those people who read your book after you have finished it, but before you've published it. They highlight any errors, plot holes, characters changing names or appearance, that kind of thing. Some beta readers won't do any of that though. They simply read and tell you if they liked it and why. 
but others will do more for you. Being a beta reader can be a really interesting role. While they don't get paid for their time, I do offer mine a copy of the published book and I offer to include their name in the acknowledgements by way of an official thank you. If you're interested in being a beta reader and you know the author already, let them know you're happy to beta. Bear in mind though that some authors, like me, write in several genres, which means, for instance, while I have a pool of betas I regularly use for fiction, they're not all interested in the same genre. So I do have to switch it up each time. Be patient with your author and don't hassle them for the next book because they're probably hard at work writing it. Lastly, if they are like me, they'll probably have a list of do's and don'ts for you to agree to before you read. It isn't as deadly as it sounds. It's just simple things like not sharing the content publicly, that kind of thing. The author has to trust those reading their books because while it's fun to read it before it's published, those books are the author's bread and butter. Respect and trust are vital for beta reading experience partnerships, I believe. The next B, burnout. Ooh, tricky one this. Burnout can happen to anyone in any business. Put simply, burnout is doing too much or too much for so long. You run out of energy and in some cases can become quite ill. I've experienced it a few times in my career. We take on way too much, either because our boss piles it on and we don't feel we can say no, or because there's simply too much work for one person to do. Burnout shows up in so many ways, including poor mental health, poor physical health and ultimately illness. And while some people thrive on doing lots, the others simply can't take the pressure and burnout ensues. The trick is to recognise when it might be happening and, if possible, take a step back. Once you can see the signs, you can put in place some preventative measures and some boundaries. Saying that though, that's the logical approach. Many of us don't see the signs until it's too late. Hopefully those around you will see the signs and support you because fallout can be tough. Remember, self-care is not a dirty term. There is only one you. Take care of yourself and seek professional help if you need it. More in self-care in the S's. The next one, building a story and building a character. I've put these two together because they're based on the same principles as far as I can see. I tend to think of building stories and characters the same as if you were going to build a wall. I do love a good metaphor, don't you? Building requires sound foundations, for without them, the wall will eventually topple. That's great with physical bricks and mortar, but how do you build good foundations within creative writing? I'd suggest, and of course I would, take a look at the courses I offer to find some answers. You can check those out on loveofbooks.co.uk. With characters, you need to make them feel like real people to your reader. If they feel flat, readers will lose interest. And most stories are remembered for the characters rather than the story, depending on the genre, of course. Some stories are plot-led and some are character-led, but for the sake of this section, let's consider the character and story aspects only. With a character, you'll want to ensure you know them inside out, what they think, how they'll react, what drives them, how they engage with others, what their backstory looks like, and why they react the way they do. For those things, you'll need to delve right into their heads. Like I said, my courses will guide you in the right direction. For stories, you'll need to understand the shape of the story, 
where the characters fit into it, how the plot will unfold and how the characters will get to the end. Plotters and pantsters alike, once you have your finer details, everything should move smoothly. The last one, I believe. B for business. The business of writing is both logical and simple. You create, you engage, you sell. And oh boy, if it were that simple in life, how great would it be? But running a creative business is certainly not the easiest thing I've ever done. But at times it is right up there with the most rewarding. As you might imagine, the economic climate is never an easy thing to navigate. Ooh, mixing my metaphors there. But I'm fortunate enough to have support when needed. And oh boy, is it often needed. Over the years, my business, for the love of books, has evolved. Services have come and gone, products have come and gone, but the books have always remained. And other services have increased and progressed in a way I could never have originally expected. If you're new to the Versatile Writer, you might like to check out my business, of which this podcast is a part. It is also a freebie. Do you have a writing-related business and does it make a difference on how successful it is if you live in a different country? How good are you at promoting your business and your books or your services yourself? I'd love to hear all of this. We all have our ways but and some of them overlap, but they are quite unique to us, aren't they? Right, I've covered all the A's and all the B's I can think of. In episode two, I'll, t- I'll cover C, so strap in and make yourself comfy. Maybe bring a pen and pad. It might get messy. Thanks for listening to The Versatile Writer. Details of my courses are through my website, loveofbooks.co.uk. And you can join the podcast group over on Facebook. Details are in the show notes. This is episode one of season 10 of The Versatile Writer.